This morning, we're going to pick up where Eric has been uh, taking us. Eric has taken us on a BFF uh, series, and he's calling us and helping us understand why God is calling us to move from a place of just being a fan and an acquaintance to move to actually in harmony with God's design of how we are to be in each other's lives in a deep, deep, intimate, significant level we call friend. Okay, and he's been walking through this. So if you've been here before, it'll be a recap. If you haven't, let me get you caught up on where we've been. He started out by saying that the difference between a fan and a friend is a friend is someone who shows up. A friend is someone who gives faithful action and is present in your life. Doesn't just give lip service, but when the crisis hits your life, and when you are running in the full force of the conflict of what's happening, they are a person who will show up and they're going to be present with you. And then the week after that, which fittingly was Mother's Day, he said the difference between a fan and a friend is a friend is someone who stands up for you. Now, I don't know what your mom is like, but my mom is the best mom in the world. I know yours is a close second, but my mom is the best mom in the world, and she is the sweetest woman who's ever put feet on. I mean, it's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then it's my mom, okay? And so uh, my mom was a first-grade teacher, just oozes sweetness. I could not stand it as a teenager. Honey, I'm like, Mom, I'm 16, I'm a man now. Uh, and she was just compassionate, kind. All my friends came over. She raised four boys, married a football coach, just an amazing woman, tender, gracious, wonderful host. But don't mess with her kids, right? And so a friend, fitting that they did it on Mother's Day, is someone who stands up. They will protect you. They will guard you. They've got your back. You can trust them. They're not one person to your face and another person in a different group. And then the third thing a friend is, the difference between a fan and a friend, what God's calling us to be was what we saw in Barnabas. They are someone who builds up. They're someone who takes courage and puts it into you. They spend time making sure that you're amplified, that you are built up, not blowing smoke at you, but legitimately helping you know who you are and have the courage to be all that God's created you. That's the picture of a friend. That's what God's calling each one of us to be in each other's lives. And well, this morning we're going to deal with the why. And I think the why is so important. The why is the fuel that helps us initiate going from the safe orbit of a fan or an acquaintance. We need some kind of initiation, some fuel that will get us to move in because frankly, sometimes that looks a little scary. And sometimes we can be deceived and think that there is actually more comfort and security. There's not. But a perceived comfort and security by orbiting out here in the fan and acquaintance realm. And the why becomes the fuel that gets us into that gravitational pull that God's going to bring us into a kind of relationship with each other that God has called us to. But not only is it the fuel to initiate that, to go from that place in, but it also happens to be what will sustain you and give you perseverance. I don't know about you, but if you have been in relationship with someone more than four or five years, you realize that if you're going to do a real friendship, that it's going to get hard. That there's going to be times that you're going to have to work through. I've been married 24 years. I had trouble remembering the first service. 24, my wife wasn't here, which is good. 24 years, I got married when I was 12. And I just want you to know, if you've been married or if you've been in relationship with someone long, you know it's work. 
And you know there's going to come times where in this relationship, things are going to get tough and you're going to just pop right back out into orbit and go, boom, I'm out. I'm a fan again. I'm just an acquaintance. And God is saying, no, you need some kind of fuel that will not just get you into this relationship, but a power that can sustain you in the middle of it. And that is the why. Why are we doing this? I guess probably the best way to illustrate that is to go to 1984 with you and a movie with a character named Daniel LaRusso. And for those of you who are familiar with Karate Kid, uh, let me just kind of recap the story so you know the part I'm talking about. Those who have not seen it, uh, Netflix tonight, 1984 version, Karate Kid. Uh, the story is Daniel grew up in the East Coast and in high school with his mom moves to the West Coast. And as he shows up in the West Coast, he meets a group of bullies. They are arrogant, they are cocky, they are merciless, and worst of all, they are excellently trained in the martial arts. And they put a whooping on him, okay? And it just so happens that in Daniel's apartment complex is Mr. Miyagi, okay? And he lives there, and, and through a series of circumstances... Daniel gets the motivation to desire martial arts training so that he can protect himself. So the bullies provided the why emotionally for him to get engaged. But if you remember the story, as Mr. Miyagi begins to train him, he shows up with this great master who's going to teach him martial arts. And for four days, all he does is paint the fence. Remember that? Paint the fence. Left hand up, right? Okay. Uh, and then he sands the floor, right? Sands the floor. Then he paints the house. Four days. He's pulling 10 to 12 hour days working. And it comes, to a, it comes to a climax at the end of day four. It's dark. Here comes Mr. Miyagi bebopping back in with his fish and his fishing pole. Oh, what a beautiful day. He's been enjoying California. He comes home going, hey, my house is looking good. Good job, Daniel. And Daniel LaRusso has had it. This is not what I signed up for. This is not comfortable. I'm not having fun here. This is not benefiting me in any way. Why in the world have I been your slave and you're fishing and enjoying the summer? What is going on? And you'll remember that moment. He says, hey, Daniel, show me sand the floor. Stand up. Right? Remember that? And he has him go through all these motions of what he's been doing, sanding the floor and painting the fence and cleaning the house. And as he's doing all of this, all of a sudden, Mr. Miyagi, this martial arts expert, unleashes on him. What? And is going on him. And as Daniel, in that moment, is taking all of the pain, all this hard stuff, all the things that didn't make sense, and he's putting it into motion, he realizes, whoa, I'm one bad dude. He blocked every one of the attacks. But see, you have to have a why in those moments when things are not benefiting you from what you can see. I'm not getting the temporary convenience and comfort I'm looking for. In order to push through hard things, to get to something greater, you have to have something greater. You have to have a why. We're going to spend some time today talking about the why and then maybe giving some practical applications. <clears throat> what is the why? Well, the first why is that it's good for you. You know in your heart of hearts that you want a friend like that. You want a friend who is there, who is present. 
You want a friend who stands up for you and has your back. You know that you want that. It's good for you. Someone who speaks energy into you because you've got a world around you, if it's anything like the world around me, that constantly wants to drain you. It's good for you. But see, that's not enough of a why, is it? Uh, We don't always do things that are good for us. We know usually what's good for us and we still eat fast food, right? We still binge on Netflix. You still have way too much substance in you. You can't function without, right? Can't say amen, say ouch, right? Okay. So why, is if it's just good for us, it's not going to be a sufficient motivator. We've got to get beyond ourselves. We've got to have something higher. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to you about the why. The why of why we move from fan into this kind of relationship is the same why for all of life. It's the same why that if you belong to Christ, beats in your chest. It is that people might be able to see who God really is. And in seeing who God really is, take all of their wow and all of their impressedness and put it onto him to take all of their affection and line it up, all of their high ambition and drive and value and put it on Christ to take the highest value and wealth and treasure of their existence and put it all where it belongs on God himself. Why? It's for the glory of God. The people might know him and be free. Okay, well, how does that happen? Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 1. I've got a couple of places I want to go with you. We're going to look at the text. We're going to see what God reveals to us understand hopefully a little more of what it means and then figure out how to apply that to us. So if you have a copy of the scripture, you're welcome to follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen. Genesis chapter one. How does you and I coming into a friendship like that with other people glorify, put on display who God is so people can move from a self-centered, how do I feel, how's it impacting me life to something greater? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. To get you caught up, so far what has happened is God has said, let's create a time-space continuum. And boom, here it comes. He says, let there be, and science calls it the Big Bang. He says, let there be, and boom, there it is. And I love it. I wish we had more time. We could get into science and how it proves that there is a beginning of a universe, and therefore there's a beginner who is outside the time-space continuum. That will be another day. For this morning's purpose, just understand that where we're about to jump in in the text, God has already said, let there be, and boom, there's 70 million, million, million stars in the visible universe as estimated by NASA. And not only has he done that, created time, space, and matter, but now he's zooming in on one little planet around one little sun and one little solar system and one little tiny galaxy and he starts bringing stuff to life and here comes life just booming and at the very last thing that God creates in all of his awesome power and wonder is he creates humans take a look at this with me Genesis 1 26 it says and God said let us make man in our own image The first thing that we put on display when we move from fan into real true friends with God, as we, with others, we reveal that God himself is in community with himself. 
the truth of God is he is God the Father and he is God the Son and he is God the Holy Spirit. They are three in one. Ask Eric. He'll explain it to you. Okay, and they're all three in one. All I know is from the edge of the mystery this morning, what we're going to glean from that beautiful truth is that God himself is in perfect oneness, love, community, and unity within himself. And as he gets together with the Son and the Holy Spirit with a holy huddle, he says, I've got an idea. Let us... Make human beings like us. And I've got to tell you, there is more to you than you will ever possibly be able to wrap your head around on this side of the grave. It will blow your mind, but this one truth will forever dominate your life. It will rule over your existence. Because not only does our friendship glorify the fact that God lives in community with himself, but it also reveals the truth that you, ladies and gentlemen, were created in the image of God to be like him in a profound way like nothing else in creation. You were created to have a consciousness and a soul and an awakeness and an awareness so that you can enter into intimate relationship with God himself. You were created to have community with the triune God. And see, this is what is at the base level of every part of your existence. This is why nothing in this earth satisfies. That's why the approval of men can never be high enough to define your worth. That's why a success and an ambition or a career or a hobby or, can never be enough to define your value. There is more to you than you can possibly conceive. And that's why guys like Troy Aikman, I'm sorry. I know I'm in the wrong town to talk about Troy Aikman, but be merciful with me. Troy Aikman, for those of you who don't know, is a football player who plays on the northern Texas team up on the other side with the star on the helmet. Uh, Troy Aikman was interviewed after he won the Super Bowl. And as he was interviewed, going, Wow! Man, ticker tape, big trophy, you have reached the climax. Wow, Troy, what did you do the night you won the Super Bowl? And he says, well, I went to my hotel room, got a beer out of the fridge, popped it open. I sat on the bed and cried. He said, because you were so like, wow, you were so full of life. I mean, like, how did I reach this moment? He said, no. It was the most empty feeling I've ever had in my life. See, God has hidden, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has hidden eternity in the hearts of men. This reality is going to forever dominate your destiny from here through all eternity because you were created in the image of God to be like God and to have the highest form of intimate oneness with God himself. And until a soul rests in that place, it is forever hungry and nothing will satisfy. It's forever itching and you just can't get it. And thirsty until you realize who you're created for. This is why we come into relationship with other people. To show that God is a community, that God created us to be like him for the purpose of having intimacy with him. And he did not just create man, meaning humanity, as a male. He created us male and female. He created both of us 
And from male and female, we can genetically trace every X chromosome back to a single ancestor. Isn't that phenomenal? From one, it says God created all of humanity. And so not only did he create us to be in community with himself, but with community with each other. That's why we're friends. That's why we go past this perceived comfort zone and get into the messy, real stuff where we love people. Because that's who God is. And that's who God made us to be. Okay? That's why in Matthew 5, if you want to go to Matthew 5, Jesus says this pretty amazing statement. Um, You've heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy and pray for them. Not, God, would you discipline them? God, would you? No, pray for them. God, would you bless their home? Would you let them have success in their business? Would you help them come to know you? Why do we love our enemies? Because they're image bearers of God. That's why we, when we get cut off in traffic, we don't verbalize or show sign language or let ourselves get frustrated. Image bearers of God. Not only that, but Matthew 22, uh, as a gentleman walked up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, these religious people are wearing me out. I'm loose paraphrase of the original Greek. These, loose, these people are wearing me out. They've got like 635 rules. Good grief. Can you just tell me where I need to start? What's the most important one? Let me get it. What is the right response for me being created in the image of God? being able to draw oxygen out of this room to have his blueprint of DNA in every one of my cells so that I can function not only as a living being, but a sentient being with the image of God inside of me. What is the right response? Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love him. You just love him with everything you've got, with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. You love God, how could you not? And then he says the second is like it. Hang on, Jesus, I just wanted one. Yeah, but one and two are hitched together permanently. They are inseparable. One is first, but what is hitched to the truck of number one is, I don't know what you want, a boat or whatever, is hitched to that RV, put in whatever you want. The second one is attached permanently to the first. And what we are to do is love God and love each other because they're inseparable, because God is inseparable, because you're an image bearer and I'm an image bearer and we are together created for the unity and community of intimacy with God himself. That's why you have a heartbeat. That's why you're here. And then John 13, Jesus takes it to a whole new level. See, we're going to talk about this community and this oneness with God, and and we're going to get a chance to interact in it. Make no mistake, what you and I have, an opportunity this morning to interact with God, is even deeper than what I'm going to read to you. Okay? But there was actually a time where the God of the universe, creator, created everything out of nothing, borrowing nothing from anyone, his own design, wrapped on skin, 
and became a small carbon-based life form on one of the planets. There was actually a group of men and women who could look in the eyes of God as he said, no, 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 don't keep those kids from me. I've worn, these parent, adults are wearing me out. Bring me some kids, right? I need to just come back to the simplicity of what life is. They got to see Jesus as he looked in his eyes at this woman who was a filthy, trashy, got money for doing stuff only wives are supposed to do kind of person. As she wept at his feet and put her lips on his feet, they got to look at Jesus as he looked at this former prostitute weeping and kissing his feet because he was going to make her clean because he said she was somebody. They looked at his face. There was actually a group of men and women who, as Jesus spoke, walked around the room and watched around the room as hearts started to come on fire and people came alive. And in John 13, Jesus is in that room where they're getting ready to participate in this. And he's already told them, I'm leaving. And John had his head right here on Jesus' chest. These people had intimacy with him. Though I'm telling you, what you're invited into is more than what they had. And Jesus says to them in John 13, a new commandment I give you. You know the old one. The old one is love everybody else the way you love yourself. If you're feeding yourself, feed other people. If you want yourself to be comfortable, make other people comfortable. If you like good clothes, give good clothes to others. Whatever it is, treat them the way you're treating yourself. Don't think about them the way you think about yourself. I mean, at least do something about it. That's the old commandment. Love one another as you have loved yourself. The new commandment I give you Believers, that you love one another the way I have loved you. And friends, what God's calling us to is way beyond anything you're going to find on this planet. In order for you to understand what Jesus is saying, I need to help you and we need together to look at what Jesus did. See, image bearers of God and all of us at some level, and usually at pretty deep levels, have lived in such a way inconsistent with God's design for us. Every single one of us has engaged in thoughts and actions and words that are inconsistent with God's character, and by so doing, have proclaimed a lie about who God is. It's equated to in the scripture like when a wife takes her affections outside of the marriage bed and gives it to other men. Such a deep betrayal. The Bible calls sin. And I don't know if you've ever been hurt, but if you've been through middle school and high school, you've been hurt, right? And, and even in adult world, because some adults just drag middle school and high school with them, right, as they go on up. You've been hurt. And I don't know about you, but... I'm telling you, when I get hurt, my first temptation is to pop right back out into orbit. And I might be fans and might be acquaintances. Jesus Christ, when you, when you and I participated in this, my friends, such a cosmic betrayal living in our lust and our pride and our self-centeredness and our greed, and worst of all, telling God to mind his own business as if he doesn't exist. 
as if he's not the one right now making my heart beat, as if he's not the one sustaining all atoms and molecules and gravitational force. We have dishonored him and betrayed him and we have hurt him. And do you understand what he did? God humiliated himself in order to get close to us. He wrapped on skin and became a small carbon-based life form on a little bitty planet so that we could know him, so we could relate to him. And when all of creation and all of humanity should have bowed their knee and said, you are everything I was ever created for. I love you more than life itself. You are everything that I should be. I will fall in line with you and wherever you go, I'm going. And whatever you're doing, I'm doing. Just let me be with you. When all of creation should have done that, God instead took all of my sin, my darkness, my brokenness and selfishness and lust and rebellion and greed and pride and yours and all of humanity's and he put it on his beloved son whose sweating blood in the garden that night said, if there's another way, let's do that. And then said, but if not, I'm all in. And Jesus Christ took all of our brokenness and all of our sin and all of our filth and pride and arrogance and God poured out his wrath upon him and destroyed your sin and his son on the cross. A new commandment I give you that you love one another the way I have loved you. That's the call. And that's the invitation. And when you and I live in relationship with each other like that, we proclaim this gospel. Francis Schaeffer said, the last great apologetic, the last great proof that God is God and Jesus is Jesus and salvation is found in no other name except his under heaven. The greatest proof is when believers love each other like that. That's our, that's our why. That's our motivation. That's our purpose. Quickly in, in closing, let me take us to a place where we can see it in action. Uh, go to 1 Samuel. If you have a copy of the scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 18. What would this look like? I want to give you a picture of possibly the best relationship of friends ever pictured in the scripture, apart from Jesus. This is going to be a picture we're going to pick up, <clears throat> give you a little context. Right now, the reigning king of Israel is Saul. He is the first king. He is ruling the nation. He has a son, a firstborn named Jonathan, and Jonathan is a man among men. Jonathan does the right thing. He's courageous. He's wise. He's humble. He is going to be a phenomenal king because you know what happens when the king dies. His firstborn becomes the next king. 
Well, there's a little bit of a problem. Saul cared more about what people thought than what God said. And Saul, though he wanted to be king and was chosen to be king, wanted people to like him so much so that he compromised what God called him to do so that people would like him. And because he compromised the approval of men over what God calls us to do, God says, you are not going to be king. I am taking it from you and from your family. And Jonathan heard this. One day they're in battle, or at least lined up to do it. And here comes a champion from the enemy. Bring me somebody. I'm going to take them out. And everyone knew it should have been Saul that went down. And if not Saul, then Jonathan. But no one went. Until the day a teenager, coming to check on his big brothers, rode into town and said, I know you are not saying that stuff about my God. We don't do Old Testament ethics, okay? Please don't take any slings at people. But in this story, David walks down as a hero, goes toe-to-toe, takes out the enemy. Comes back king, most courageous man in the whole army, most courageous, obviously anointed man of all time, and just comes right back. And, And here's where we pick up the conversation with that having just happened. Let me show you what friendship looks like. Verse 1, now, it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to put rubber to the road? Step one, find someone who belongs to Christ. Now, hear me, do not, please do not in any way stop being friends with people who don't know Jesus. Don't do that. God wants to use you right there, so do not back away from being friends with people who do not know Christ in the way that God calls us to. But when God is calling you to step into intimacy, you need to understand that when you receive Christ, when you come to know not just the story I told you, but when you come to the place where you personally go, God, there's darkness in me. Jesus Christ, I need your love and your forgiveness to clean me. I need intimacy with you. Thank you for removing every barrier between me and you. And filling me with your spirit and clothing me in your righteousness. Listen, if you have received Christ by faith, there is more treasure trove, massive amounts of blessing and and resources in your life than you're going to have time to unpack on this side of the grave. But one of the things God has done to you, if you have come into that place of faith in Christ where he forgives you and causes you to be born all over again in his spirit, he makes you his and he brings you into his family and he calls you after his own name. And if he has done that to you, listen, it says in Romans 12 even that we are members of Christ's body and members of each other. So you find a believer and you recognize already, step one, you are already knit together in Christ. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as himself. He loved him. Saul took him that day and didn't let him go back to his father's house so he got to live with Jonathan. 
Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him. Ladies and gentlemen, find a believer that you can love and you commit to it. You need to be the one that their kids will come to when they need something. You need to be the one that through retirement age, whether you're in the same town or not, they're calling you. You are to love the way Christ loved. Let me show you what that looks like. Verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him. Jonathan took off his robe and put it on David. He took off his armor and he put it on David. He took his sword and his belt and his bow and he put it on David. Jonathan heard what God said was going to happen to his father and his lineage. Jonathan knew that he was not going to be king. And he submitted to God's will. And he gave his own glory, his own joy, his own praise and popularity and position and gave it to David because God obviously was on David. Brothers and sisters, we have got to love with such a selfless humility that we see what God is doing in another person and there's no room for jealousy. There's no room for Envy, we willingly serve and give and support and love. And we do it so that a world might come to taste the same love and forgiveness and freedom and life that you have tasted.